questions are different from each other. <laughs> and <laughs> at the risk of sounding like Mrs. Obvious, that, and there's opportunities and barriers that come from that. You know, the fact that we are each different from each other and individually, because we're different and because we each have kind of constraints, natural abilities and natural um, lack of abilities. Individually, we can't be anything in the world, but we can be more than we imagine. Absolutely. You know? and, and so because each one of us doesn't have and never have an unimpeded you know, access to reality and the full picture and all the things, um, we really have to rely on each other. And we really gain a lot from listening to each other, internalizing other perspectives, and any work that we can do for that in our personal lives and our professional lives is time well spent. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We are back here for episode 98. Our guest is Alicia Parr, and the title today is Secrets to Enhancing Human Performance, Value, and Outcomes. Alicia is the founder of a company called Performmentor, Perform Mentor, and they provide fractional, what she calls full stack HR services for scale change businesses. What that boiled down to, this is about building culture, processes, and teams so that they can perform and work together at the highest level. And at the core, it's also about leadership. So of course, we're gonna talk about leadership today. We're gonna to talk about the vital role that HR leaders can and have the opportunity to play in creating the future of organizations and teams. Listen carefully. She's gonna talk about what she calls the algorithm that consists of responsibilities, authorities, capabilities, and accountabilities. She's also gonna talk about the vital role, as so many of us know, of having clarity throughout the organization. So we're gonna be talking about a wide range of topics today, everything from leadership to human resources leadership to culture change to building engaged teams. It's gonna be a rich conversation and one that you're gonna enjoy and have so many takeaways to help you grow your leadership and your business. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are back and I am intrigued today. That's my word for today. Intrigued by our guest. Our guest is Alicia Parr. She is the founder and principal of a company called Perform Mentor. Uh, did I get that right, Alicia? How did I that's do? right. Perform Mentor. So it's Perform and Mentor. Just make sure you get that because that's going to tell you what's coming, right? <laughs> she has got over 20 years deeply embedded in not just HR, but what she calls the behavioral science around people and people performance. So first of all, we know already, Alicia's here focused on people and Craig and I love that. Yep. Um, she's been worked with, she typically worked with small businesses, which I love as well, because I found that so often small businesses don't get anyone's radar Yeah. and they're right. out here with all these people. In fact, small businesses employ more people than anyone else. Yet 
often we they don't get our attention. So I love that you're working in that space, Alicia. Uh, she has experience in co-authoring learning cultures, amplify, amplifying innovative environments, and of course, building high-performing teams of HR experts. This is what I love in her bio. She is endlessly curious, <laughs> which I think is one of the most important traits of any person and yes. certainly leaders. Are you curious? Are you yep. open? Are you looking to understand, starting with yourself? Um, so Alicia's here to talk about all things leadership, uh, HR people, uh, people performance, and as well as perhaps innovation. So welcome, Alicia. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Alicia, give us a little bit of the Alicia Parr story. It took me a long time to figure out what my career path was going to be. Uh, but I, I did finally, after bouncing around in small business and a wide variety of industries, I decided that um, I needed to, to get on a train and, and move in a direction. And I realized that my love for business and my fascination with people, um, the best course of action for me would be human resources. And from there, I spent uh, a good 20 years on um, both corporate as well as consulting through other people. And then in very high growth situations a little bit later in my career. And I realized that for smaller organizations, that the handling and the way that uh, the people's side of the business, which doesn't make sense for reasons that we can tackle later, but, uh, but the human resources, the way that human resources was done and handled and thought about really wasn't serving business owners, really yeah. especially wasn't serving the people that work at these small businesses. Like as you, as you mentioned, 52%, this is the number that's most recent uh, to me, is 52% of working adults work for organizations that have 500 or fewer employees. We have no idea. I like. I, I was not. This is on audio, so no, nobody could see me nodding my head and smiling when you were talking about that. Uh, so, so that is that's my that's my passion. And so I started my own business, uh, Performentor, uh, a little over five years ago because I realized uh, that just being an HR person, and there's nothing wrong with just being an HR person, but it just wasn't suiting me uh, quite anymore. And that I had uh, bigger fish to fry. Um, and because my experience is in that arena, what I've done is I've created a model uh, that I call full stack fractional HR for growth organizations. And so what we do is that we serve uh, organizations all the way across all the industries, businesses, as well as nonprofits, usually between about 10 and 100 employees. And we do it in a way that's really entrepreneur friendly, really flexible. Um, and solves the kind of problems that an organization has when they're growing. Um, and I like to say it's like we deliver the HR that uh, business owners wish they could have, uh, <laughs> but didn't know they could ask for. So, <laughs> gotcha. so, wow. so that's sort of a, I guess, a, a pitch and, and, a, and a brief story about, you know, why me and, you know, uh, how, how is my brain put together? <laughs> now, when you talk about the typical HR function? Are you looking at really the people who are doing the, the blocking and tackling rather than the strategic HR, you know, like dealing with benefits, dealing with, you know, hiring and firing and so forth like that versus the really thinking about how people are brought in, how they're onboarded, how they're engaged throughout the day? Yeah. It's a yes and, Craig. Uh, okay. Uh, it, that's, that's the thing, right? You know, you're you're running a small business. 
you need to be able to do the blocking and tackling, but yeah. you want to be able to do the blocking and a tackling in a way that uh, sets you up for future growth, but doesn't import a bureaucracy that's going to slow you down. Yeah. Uh, right. And so in order to do that, you need on the ground experts as well as more strategic thinkers um, that can partner up. Yeah, certainly you're the strategic thinker. <laughs> uh, one, of them, yes. one of them. One of them. So, Alicia, you said something in your opening. You said you realized you didn't want to do just HR. So from that perspective, talk about how you see the state of HR today, because uh, there's a lot of folks who are just HR and a lot of companies look at HR as just this necessary evil of, you know, we got to handle the stuff about our people. So what are you what are you seeing today in business? Yeah, yeah. I just come across a lot of business owners and, and organizational leaders that have a vision uh, for how they want their um, business to look and feel like and, and, and grow like. Um, you know, I, as I look back and reflect on my earlier experience, I remember I was in a little bit larger organization with about 2,000 people. And all the time, we would refer to ourselves, the HR team, as a cost center. And I always thought that was a little strange, but that tells a story, right? Our, you know, so the traditional view of HR um, and all the components that um, traditionally landed it, like your compliance, um, you know, making sure that when people leave, they're less likely to sue you. Um, you know, the, um, you know, the actual blocking and tackling of finding people and, and getting them into the right seats. All that stuff is just, you know, that's certainly part of traditional HR, the benefits um, you know, and um, um, but what, what I realized is that um, if you're imagining yourself as a cost that must be minimized, that's very different from um, what um, I would today imagine as 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 the people of the business are the business. Mm. And and many business leaders would like a partner and figuring out how to grow in a way that they would like to grow. So uh, somewhere along the lines, um, you know, I got very frustrated with um, business leaders of the kind of the old, what I call the old traditional mindset to say, oh, we need to make a trade off between the people and the business. And I have to be honest with you, that's never made sense to me. Right. And, it, and it, <laughs> I really puzzled on that for years and years. And finally, I realized it was because what I imagine a business to be, and this is just a model, it's one of many models. Uh, that a business could be the conversion of people's energy, people's um, you know decision making, their their actions, their behaviors. You converting that into sustainable economic value. And if you imagine that a business is this, that's what they do, they do that. Then you want to figure out how to get the most out of each individual, get yes. them into the right seats, give them clarity, um, and how to work together effectively. How to make sure that they're aiming towards a purpose. Um, everyone's rowing in the same direction. Those are the sorts of things. Um, and then when you say, well, you know, I want to make a trade-off between the people and the business, it doesn't make sense. All you're doing is usually trading off um, long-term benefit uh, for, the, for the business as a whole for some sort of short-term profit gain. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The HR field is fascinating. The last several years, I've spoken to a lot of HR groups, a lot of SHRM chapters. And one thing I've offered them is a bit of a challenge, you know, because typically we refer to HR people as human resource professionals. 
Um, you know, that's an important piece, that professional part. And I offered a new phrase, human resuscitation profession. <laughs> because, and what my offer was, is I said, I think you and the people in HR and HR leadership have the opportunity to breathe life into your people, into your culture. But I've seen too many who are basically saying, I wish I could do more, but leadership won't let me kind of thing. Hmm. And I don't know, for me, a lot of this is not about a cost, an additional cost. It's just a different mindset. So what are you seeing with HR professionals? Are, Are they taking that leadership role or just following the corporate leadership? You know, honestly, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard that. The whole, if only they would let me have a seat right. at the table. Uh, and I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think I'm still saddened by this idea of resuscitation, by the way. So I'm sort of reacting <laughs> to that in the background. Uh, but, you know, it really has to do with, uh, can you speak the language of business? Uh, right. Not in terms of. How can I and my team be, a, you know, um, a better cost center, but how can I help you imagine uh, the future? How can I help you solve the problems um, that you have at, at your at your disposal? So um, if, if I may, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what I often see uh, HR people do. And I have a million stories and examples, even one recently. That's why I'm, I'm remembering this is that HR people, when they want to show their expertise, um, will tend to um, spout a lot of detail about their knowledge of different laws, rules, charts, <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah. and things. And, and, um, and I imagine, um, I've always, by the way, I felt like I was kind of an insider sort of hiding out in HR. But I imagine that to other HR people, that might be like, wow, this person is a tremendous expert. Look at how much they know. And I can tell you that that kind of approach with a business owner doesn't get you anywhere. Right. That's table stakes. (laughs) Um, You know, so, you know, so what I've done, and this is what I share with uh, my consultants, is that our job isn't to be center or to tell business owners what they can and can't do. Um, our, I say that the job of HR uh, really belongs to your operational leaders. They're the ones with skin in the game. They're the ones that um, you know have, have a target on their back or, or win big if their teams perform or not perform. So what our job to do is, is, is to make it as easy as possible for them to do all that as well as possible. And to me, that's a tremendous, it sounds so simple, uh, but it's a tremendous reframe. And we go from being police to enablers and we get out out of this feeling like it's somehow our job to make decisions um, that are just fundamentally um, not our decisions to make. Yeah, it seems like in the HR world, I've, I've seen it done really well and I've seen it done marginally. And when it's done really well, people are engaged throughout the organization. I remember one of the companies I worked for, the chief people officer, I I happened to go to our Wilmington office, which is the headquarters, and the CEO was outside playing guitar along with the project manager. The the HR leader was dressed up as the tooth fairy, and the receptionist was dressed up as a tube of toothpaste, 
is because it was National Dentist Day. I mean, who celebrates National Dentist Day, right? But they found ways to engage people, to have fun, to socialize the group of people so that it was more than just work. Mm -hmm. It's interesting what you talk about because I've had the same thing said to me, Alicia. People saying they won't let me have a seat at the table. And now I'm pretty blunt. And I'll say, if you don't have a seat at the table, there's one of two reasons. Yeah, right. One is you haven't earned a right at the table because you haven't demonstrated that you're going to bring business value to the table. Or being honest, you're never going to get a seat at the table because they've got a mindset. And sometimes it's a male-female thing. There's still a lot of that going on. But 85% of HR leaders are women, something like that. And there are, there are men in leadership who don't want women in their room, but that's a very small major- minority. But to your point, it, it's kind of like the difference between a good lawyer and a bad lawyer. I know that sounds like a joke. It's not because I'm the recovered lawyer. And part of the problem with lawyers is all they do is tell their clients what they can't do. And a lot of HR people, all they do is tell the owner what they can't do instead of showing them the things they can create. And you tell a business owner what he or she can't do. Yeah you're not going to get a seat at the table. The business owner doesn't want his, his risk manager at the table. They're in the second room. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah. That same company. I mean, the, the people officer there, she was adamant about looking at the numbers. Okay. What's, what's our turnover in these areas and eating, you know, by sector and so forth. And how can we improve that so that we can keep better people so that we have better hiring practices to bring in the right people that they stay longer. And the majority of people there stayed for a long time. And that was one of the things that really reduced the cost of people in the organization. Because when you have a lot of turnover, that gets really expensive. But it also, it loses so much of the value of the organization and the culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Institutional knowledge. I mean, what's what's that when you have a lot of turnover? Right. Right. You know, um, it takes your your eye off the ball. Um, there's been many cases where, you know, that is the pain point that prompts them to say, "Hey, you know, like maybe we can use some practical HR. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> can you take a look at what's happening here?" You know, and and honestly, um, I found that every pain point usually comes down to some sort of disconnect in in what I call the trust algorithm. You know, you know, and um, you know, people problems are really quite frankly, most often operational problems, even when they come to me, they're like, we've got this personality conflict going on here. I'm like, you know, the problem isn't the personalities. <laughs> the personality is just how the conflict shows up. Usually what happens is that you have some sort of disconnect between the authorities and the accountabilities um, and the capability of the individual in that role or between roles. Yeah. So if you don't have clarity, um, you know, um, and if two people, for example, think that they're responsible for a particular decision, you're going to have conflict. Likewise, if, two, if several, if nobody thinks that they're accountable for a decision, right. you also have conflict and you have finger pointing. Um, and then when you add in to that, um, to that algorithm, um, and I can get you a graphic for that later. So it's really just you know, accountability. You know, what are the responsibilities of the role? Um, the authority, the ability, and the wherewithal to make the decisions um, that that um, enable a, a, an organization to accomplish or not accomplish those authorities, um, and then of course the capabilities 
Um, and there's a lot of reasons why people might have or not have the capabilities in order to um, handle uh, those accountabilities uh, and, and those authorities. Um, and so there's just lots of ways that those things can get very disconnected. And so that's one of the first things that I look at, kind of like where, where are we lacking clarity organizationally um, that's causing the problems that we're having? You know, you, you, I, I want to get, because you're out, you're out there, Alicia, this, you're talking to these small business owners every day. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a chicken and the egg question. Are, are you typically finding people that want to engage with you because they're saying, my people are my most important, they're most valuable people. I want to treat them well. I want to do this well. So I'm going to get help. Or are they saying, um, there's kind of the, the business case. In other words, is it, are you leading with the business case or with the, this is just the right way to treat people? And what do you find with the owners or is there a difference? Mm, yeah. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, and um, it's, uh, I could say the simple answer is that, you know, the business leaders that work with us already get it. And I would say that, um, you know, in the very least, they um, get it even if they don't know it outside the, their, their heads. Um, you know, because it's easier to say there's certain, and I say this, we're not for everyone. There are some business owners that are, um, that are not going to be willing to or interested in seeing a business as that conversion of people energy into economic value. They yeah. see people as maybe interchangeable widgets, uh, you know, and um, look, it's not it's not for us to change everybody's mind. Um, but I find that there's more and more business owners. You know, I suspect that maybe some of it's also a little bit generational. Um, yeah. You know, because, dude, I mean, we have clients in uh, construction and manufacturing and pest control, sometimes second, third generation family, um, you know, businesses. Uh, you know, and they see that the economics of things over the past many years has, tells a story in terms of how you need to treat people and um, in order to, <laughs> in order to grow and get the most out of your, out of your team. Um, and uh, so, so usually we are brought in, um, you know, into organizations that even if not explicitly um, and many are explicit, they do have a sense of what our core values and our culture and knowing that their culture um, is important to them and sustaining that culture as they grow is also important to them. Um, I think that that's sort of a cri- criteria. Um, you know, it's, it's like I'm, I'm really not going to talk somebody into thinking differently about the role of people in their organization if they aren't already there, if that makes yeah. sense. So when somebody is talking with you about the culture of the organization, maybe they're saying, I have an aspirational culture. This is where I want to go. Mm-hmm. So they already have what we may call baggage, you know, some people who are there that may not buy into that change of culture. And so how do you address people who are no longer a fit in there? And then what do you do to bring in the right kind of fit? Yeah. You know, I I don't know if it's ever, it can be. Um, I I don't know. I, I would say that it's not usually just that the person doesn't fit the culture anymore. It's often that the um, the scope of the role has changed as the business grew. Um, so somebody who's great at blocking and tackling, fighting fires um, earlier on, um, 
and has been often critical for the success. I mean, like very often these are folks where the business would not be where that where it is sure. without without their contributions. And then the role itself gets more complex. And um, you know, and then it's not made clear in what way it's getting more complex. And then then there's frustration, you know, because we're not having that conversation about here's what your new requirements of the role are, or should we rethink what your role is. And how do we solve that problem? Um, so, so you know, and and you know, it's just really it is standard HR blocking and tackling. I think you know because this comes up all the time. Um, how do we have the conversation? In fact, recently, um, you know, with the one client, as somebody that's been just core, core, and then we finally got all this feedback, um, and he was a little bit underwater, and then COVID hit, and it was even more underwater. Um, and then as he as this individual. Um, long-time, high-valued person at the organization was under so much stress that they had some ne negative behaviors pop up. And the feedback from the remaining team was very, very negative um, because it was having a very negative impact on morale, on the ability of other people to get their jobs done well. Um, and that was a major problem. Um, and so rather than, you know, starting with a, a, a pep and, and, you know, and just really coming down hard on this person who's been a part of the organization uh, for such a long time um, is that we uh, the uh, one of the owners is sitting down with them and saying, hey, man, you've been really important part, but, you know, I haven't done my job, but he's, I haven't done my job to make sure that you have clarity on what we're expecting from you. And yeah. going through each um, part of his roles and responsibilities saying, OK, what should you keep? What should you delegate and what processes can we improve um, mm -hmm. so that it's easier for you to, to deliver. And, um, you know, and the early feedback on this process, and we're still in the middle of it, is that, um, you, know, that you know, things are getting much, much better out there on the front lines. And I think that that really uh, typifies, you know, how, how we approach. We want to be really, really clear on what the behavioral expectations are. Mm -hmm. um, we're not going to try and change people's personalities. We aren't going to try and change how people feel inside. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be really, really clear on what's expected in terms of the roles and responsibilities and also maybe behaviors um, that align to the core values of the organization. Yeah, I can definitely agree that we wouldn't want to have cookie cutter people in there. But I guess <laughs> one of the things I was looking at is as an organization grows and understands the value of people, it may change how the the values of the organization related to that and so if you have people that are let's say antagonistic beating other people up um micro you know doing things that would not suggest that they actually care for their people that to me seems like something that needs to be addressed but it's not it's not just in form of you know in the past this was okay because mm -hmm. that's the way the organization was now we're shifting the culture that's no longer okay. So can that person adapt or is there a yeah. better place for them? Yeah, there, there's a, <laughs> this isn't a client that I'm, I'm been part of, but I was just talking to my consultant yesterday who's working on, uh, and there was a situation very much like that. Um, there's somebody mm -hmm. who, uh, uh, yeah, runs, runs an important function. So it runs an, a marketing function. Um, and in the past, I, you know, that, I just don't think that the team really defined um, you know, what, what the values were and, and, and didn't really necessarily explicitly define because maybe they're at a size where a lot of that stuff was just osmosis, 
um, and they didn't have to define it, but then they grew past the point where, um, you know, they started to realize that some of the behaviors that they're seeing in some of their people aren't mapping to um, how um, they wish things could be. Uh, you know, in this case, um, the way that it was handled is uh, my, my colleague worked with the, the, um, the owner that, that ran, that, um, who's, who's the manager uh, of that individual and, and then clarified, here's, here's behaviorally, here's the behaviors that, that are not working for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, saying really negative things, um, derogatory things about your peers, you know, like it, it's not good. Right. You know, um, and then, um, and then, and here's what we expect, you know, so we do yeah. get it in writing. We do have that hard, com- that come to Jesus moment, right. Conversation. And, um, you know, unfortunately, inevitably, um, you know, they made the decision um, and it ended up being both a core values, culture fit uh, disconnect, as well as a realization that, yeah, that maybe in that seat, um, um, we actually do need somebody different in terms of their capabilities. And yeah. so there was probably it's they were probably it was an interdependent thing where maybe there's a disconnect in terms of the values and the behaviors. Um, you know, and some of those negative behaviors were amplified because there wasn't clarity and fit in terms of the role, gotcha. right? Um, so I think both things very often co-occur, um, you know, and uh, and sometimes, you know, the best seat for somebody is, um, you know, imagining them well-placed somewhere else, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, um, you know, and that, that's just, that, that comes with the territory and, and very often with uh, venture capital funded firms, um, that comes with the territory and the CEO seat as well. Hmm. The word that's coming to mind there, I'm borrowing from another um, area I, in some ways, is uh, intersectionality. Does that hmm. term mean anything to you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, and I mean, I've typically been learning a lot about it recently in the context of diversity, equity, inclusion issues. Right. And looking at the intersectionality of w- what people bring to the table. But I think it really applies there because to your point, if you've got two issues going on and you don't recognize that there's two issues and you try and treat the, the outcome, beha- the behavior only yeah. without addressing both of those issues, you end up with a solution that doesn't really solve it. Yep. Because if you've got a core value, let's say you've got a core value disconnect and you have a capabilities disconnect, and you address the capabilities, then you say, why isn't it fixed? Well, because there were two issues here, mm-hmm. and the single solution doesn't always solve it. So I, I think that speaks to me about how important it is to really understand what the issue is versus just saying, let's solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's very tempting to compl- com- collapse complex. People by their nature are complex. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> To oversimplify, right? You know, if I can just do this one thing, uh, it'll solve it. The one thing might make it better, but it might not solve it. I only have one tool in my tool belt, and it's a hammer. And it's a hammer, (laughs) and you look very much like a nail, sir. That's right. (laughs) So I want to go back to a word you used earlier, Alicia. You talked about something being generational in leadership. Mm -hmm. And I'm really intrigued by that because... I think too often we look at generational issues as, well, let's say me, I'm I'm 62 years old. I grew up in an environment that people didn't matter. I mean, let's, Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you honestly that Mm -hmm. 
as a worker, I grew up in environments that wasn't even the topic of the day. <laughs> I don't care if you're engaged. I care if you can get the job done. And certainly my father's generation. So it's easy to look at it and say, well, Jeff's not in leadership anymore. But I think there's this ripple effect of that generational piece that all the people who are coming up were led by me. And if I led that way, why would they lead differently? Because they they got advanced. They were high performers in the old model. Mm-hmm. And they they were taught by a leader who didn't really care about people, cared only about execution. So to, to what degree do you see that playing out? And what are some strategies for companies, but well as the individuals to sort of realize that and make the shift? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there... Obviously, uh, at the top of the organization, uh, there needs to be that that vision, right? Uh, otherwise, you know, the rest won't won't come through. And I have seen that. And I have seen that that there's this feeling um, that um, we could do things. That, and this is a family business uh, situation. It's just you know, and um, you know, and we had a lot of uh, folks in the middle that saw their jobs as operational experts, right? To direct operations of their, their section um, as efficiently as possible uh, to ensure, you know, profits and, and, and revenues. Um, and um, what, um, what we were able to do by collaborating with the president is to, well, how do we help these middle managers um, rethink what their roles are as not just operational experts, but also um, uh, people developers. So their responsibility isn't just for the revenues um, and and the profit margins of of their um, areas, um, but it's also um, building a team um, that is constantly growing and creates a pipeline for further growth across the whole organization. And um, and so we did like just a whole bunch of things. And and what I think is um, really interesting about that is just because they had a mindset before, um, you know, it was almost like something got unlocked and unleashed. It's really really rewarding <laughs> to be part of somebody else's growth, to see oneself yes. grow, um, and be part of something um, that you know, that's bigger than yourself. And, um, and, and I, I think that every human wants those things mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and so, you know, people, I think that people, um, if they have old thinking that limits them, um, but you show them that there's an other, there's another way, um, you know, and that, that other way increases their happiness and their meaning in life. I think that they'll, they'll jump on the new bandwagon. <laughs> Wow, you're talking crazy talk now. We're actually going to develop our people. Wow, wow, that's cutting edge. That is so cutting edge. I uh, unfortunately, that is cutting edge in some places for sure. Well, like you're talking about managers, and I just read about it was about two months ago. There was an article from Gallup that was talking about the state of engagement during COVID, but it was particularly talking about managers. And how they're finding, no surprise to me or any of us, that the managers need to be more coaches than anything else. But at the same time, the training that managers get as coaches and to develop people, the word they use was dismal. That was their word. And I thought, okay, so we got a problem here. There's the need. 
and what the, the people need tools for that and they're not getting them uh-oh mm-hmm. yep yep and that's danger danger will robinson <laughs> yeah and that happens all the time and very often is quite a bit of what we bring to the table for these organizations so one of the things that you kind of both talked about this you talked about it a little bit earlier alicia you were talking about a pip so a pip mm-hmm. is a performance improvement plan jeff was talking about developing people and so kind of putting those things together do you ever find that it makes a lot of sense to focus on that pip and get that person to the right place are they ever going to be an exceptional person in the organization or should we put our time and attention more towards those who are already doing well and helping them to excel even more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look at it in terms of, you know, um, one's a default and, and the other is an exception. So, so the default is, is that we want to help everyone grow and perform. You know, in some case, that means some people are performing well in their, in their current roles. And so what else can we do to help them prepare them for you know, future roles? Um, and then in some cases, it's just bringing somebody up to speed. Maybe they're new to the organization. Maybe their jobs change. Maybe there's a new responsibility. How can mm-hmm. we help them get up to speed uh, right. as quickly um, you know, as, as we can? Uh, when it comes to, you know, really like a, a performance improvement plan or something constructive that has consequences, negative consequences, if, if we don't get up to speed, um, and, and that's that's situational. So that's more the exception, you know, and. Um, you know, and so so that that those conversations need to be about that, right? Okay. You know, uh, whereas um, there should be just um, sort of a broader uh, approach of um, um, you know, deve- everyone gets a chance to develop and grow. Do you uh, see that actually happening in organizations across the board? That uh, that is that is the default, or that some people take advantage of that and a lot of people don't yeah yeah um more and more um and the more that we're involved the more it happens yeah great <laughs> excellent well then you must be doing the right thing <laughs> i think that um one of the things that came as a surprise to me when i started my business is the amount of traction um and the involvement that we get in the trades business um there are organizations that are auto repair uh pest control um, manufacturing, construction, where, um, you know, the business owners very much um, want to grow and develop their people. Excellent. Um, and, um, and then building infrastructure, even if it sometimes means they hire my people <laughs> away from me um, in order to build those things internally. And, and, and those are the organizations that are going to be best equipped to continue growing um, uh, and then also uh, to um, effectively acquire other businesses, turn them around, and then you know, thereby accelerating their growth. Yeah, excellent. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. 
When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. Well, I think we need to change. I don't know this will happen. I think we really need to change the name of PIPs yep. because it's not even descriptive. Because the truth is what we ought to call a PIP today is you're failing we're probably going to fire you and we got to put some paper together so we don't get sued. That's what it should be called. We need a shorter version of that because <laughs> if you think about it, a perform, and I've said this many times, performance improvement plan. Awesome. Does everyone have one? Well, no. Well, why not? It's a performance improvement plan. Don't we want yep. everybody's performance mm-hmm. to improve? And I've had limited success with that idea. I've had one client in well, I'm doing this 12 years, but I didn't think of it till six years ago. But in six years, I've had one client who said, that makes a lot of sense. And we changed the name to um, LGP, and every person had a leadership growth plan. Mm-hmm. And, and, and awesome. they said, and everybody got one. I said, this is amazing. Good on you. But it's the idea that, and I sometimes struggle because I get impatient with people, but I look and say, wait a minute. <laughs> Why doesn't everybody have a strategy for how they're going to grow here? Right. Well, that's to me like that's like saying why don't doesn't everybody have a desk or because a chair? it takes time, Jeff. I mean, we have to actually think about people. Yeah, I don't plan know out their, their futures. I'm busy doing stuff, Craig. I'm a leader. I got a lot of stuff. Have you seen my schedule today? Have you seen yeah. my desk? And, <laughs> yeah, I, I love that one. I, I mean, I'm getting so obnoxious. I'm frankly, I used to say bold. It's obnoxious. <laughs> when leaders say, I've got, I'm, I'm struggling to find time for my people. I said, what the uh, hell are you doing? Yeah, You're right. the leader. Your job is your people. What, what is the stuff what that's filling is. your yes. day? Yeah, what are you doing all day? Because all that stuff is not your leader job. That's not oh, Come on, job. I have to meet with investors. I got I to gotta make sure that the sales are running. Uh, you know, got to take care of all the compliance issues, do the taxes. Yeah, it's time to leave the chair. <laughs> Oops, did I say that out loud? Hey, you know what? It, it, it kind of brings me back to the whole idea of two in a box um, that Intel had talked about or it had, had actually implemented. So CEO had two people in that same role in a lot of different key piece places in the organization. They had mm-hmm. two people in a role and those two people would work together to get the whole function done. Mm-hmm. You may have one person that's more tactical and one that's more strategic. Um, or, you know, one that's more working with the people, one that's more working with the things that could work very well. Seems expensive. Well, as long as you're clear and who's doing what with that role. Right. (laughs) What is expensive? And how decisions are made. You really need clarity. I I, I think that accountability is the, um, look, I'm, I'm excited by the idea that hierarchy is only, you know, one way of thinking about how, how people organize yeah. and that a network um, is also true. Uh, you know, and I find that the linchpin there is accountability. And so if you're going to have group decision making, what you, what you need then is clarity on what the process is for deciding, hmm. um, okay. you know, the other, uh, and that, and an accountability is tied to, to a particular you know, um, the decision-making authority ties to a role. And if more than one person is part of that role, then there needs to be clarity and process. Um, okay. So I think this is the first that. time we've actually talked about network-based versus hierarchical organizations. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like, how that operates? 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so people interact like humans, like the reality is that people don't just only communicate up and down the chain of command when they're getting their jobs done uh, in an organization. Um, they also um, build connections, some of them formal and job related, uh, some of them um, more uh, you know, personal connections, and, and some of them sort of like a blend of those um, across the organization. And okay. in fact, what organizations find is that um, you know, the more robust you know, somebody's cross-departmental connections are very often uh, the more effective that they can be. Um, it's amazing. You, know, like, you mean relationships matter? Relationships completely <laughs> matter. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, one of the things that, that intrigues me about some of the stuff that you've done is that you're looking at, um, at the organizational structure. And I know that you understand requisite organization, something that, that I've worked with a client with on that. And it's, it's an amazing tool. Can you walk us through like the, the connections, like the three different parts of people to role and so forth and how that impacts an organization? Yeah. So, you know, so in, in organ the point of requisite organization is that decisions go where they belong. Um, and the <laughs> more that people are clear and then in the right seat, um, you know, um, the more effective that they can be. We all want to work. We all want to work and perform at our highest, best levels. Um, you know, and, and the more that we are in a seat that maps to um, the sorts of things that we like to do, can do, and stretch us just a little bit, um, the better. Gotcha. But um, stretching too much is the Peter Principle. We get, the, get to a place it, where we're... Well, you know, it, you, you know, stretching too much is, well, that you actually don't stretch any more than that. Right. You, break. <laughs> <laughs> you, you stretch and then you miss, um, right. you know, and, and you may be conscious of this or not. Um, but all the social pressures are that you can't admit that. Um, which yeah, that's a really good a point. Whole, a whole other ball of wax, right? Yeah. You know, but but the reality is nobody's happy in a role that doesn't fit them. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, um, so I, I don't know. We have if to I, rewrite yeah. the Peter Principle. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. we do because the Peter Principle, if I remember it right, is we promote people to their level of incompetence. Yep. Right. Right. But that tells me you're not looking, you're not clear on what competencies are required for that role and whether they have those competencies. Because mm -hmm. most advancement decisions are based upon you performed well in your current role. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take you to the next role. Right. And that's just. So I think the. No the sense yeah, I think the actual wording, um, but I'll, I'll look it up. But I think it's actually people rise to their level of incompetence rather mm -hmm. than are promoted to that. Let me. If you perform well in your job, you will likely be promoted to the next level of your organization's hierarchy. You will continue to rise up the ladder until you reach the point where you can no longer perform well. Yeah. I think Jeff mentioned, he described the mechanism that causes that. Yeah, well. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, an interesting, an interesting thing that, that um, maybe to point out is that, you know, competence in a role uh, isn't just a one, one metric thing. Yeah, right. Sure. You know, um, it's 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 a number of things, including um, is is the uh, do I have the skills and the knowledge that are needed and skills and knowledge can be acquired. Right. Um, yeah. Do I have an interest in doing the kind of work that it requires? Example, yep. maybe a really bright, capable 
technical person um, being asked to take on a lot of managerial uh, responsibilities won't enjoy the work, even if they were capable of doing it. Right. So they won't. Right. Um, um, and the other part is that we all have a natural level or scope of um, how we uh, address problems. Do we like to solve problems that are for the long run or do we yeah. like to solve problems that are a little bit more short run concrete or something in the middle? And what we want to be in is in a situation where our fidelity or a level or a scope of problem solving really maps to um, our accountabilities and our authorities of our role. Um, and then that makes it really, really rewarding. Now, based on that, if you understand how that works, so one of the things I love about requisite organization is it is probably one of the clearest ways to look at, at succession planning because mm -hmm. you know where people in your organization can go based on where they are. Um, so there's, there's a lot more science behind the scenes of this. Yep. So if, if anybody is listening to this and, and wants to know more, look at requisite organization. There's a lot of good stuff there. But mm -hmm. looking at succession planning, I think it's one of the most amazing tools to look at how you can develop your people. So people have capability to go to certain levels of an organization. Not everybody can be president of the United States, for example. That's mm -hmm. one of the most complex jobs in the world but people can rise to different levels. And that also has a factor of age. And as somebody ages, they, they may have the capabilities um, greater. Mm. People continue to grow throughout their lifespans yeah. or they can, maybe not everyone does, um, yep. but, but all, all people have um, some on a steeper trajectory than others. And we all wanna, we all wanna be in a situation where we are, have the opportunity to bring what we have to bear. Yep. No, no more, no less. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm going back to a conversation we had this summer with a guest named Kevin Basic, a hmm. leadership consultant, had a lot of wisdom bombs. And one that he offered that I hadn't thought about is this thing about competency is that typically we're getting promoted based upon competence and right. performance in general, like getting stuff done kind of performance. And I'll, and I'll use the visually did. So you got this down here. I get my hands right. But he said down here. So the people that are in leadership, though, once they're up there, the people are looking up to them for character mm. as much as competence. Mm -hmm. But when, this this shift never happens often. So it's, in other words, getting promoted for competencies yeah. and performance and getting stuff done. And we're not looking at what's the character that's required to lead. And I'm just, for me, I'm visualizing that too often we're looking at where the person is mm -hmm. and saying, what do you need where you are? Right. Versus what do you need where you might be going? And that's so important. Yep. I mean, if, if we're asking that. more of somebody, don't we want to make sure that they have those skills to move forward? Mm-hmm. And you said there's a way to fix that, Alicia? Yes, absolutely. There's a way to fix that. <laughs> Is it called Performmentor? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That <laughs> no, was... I mean, not, no. not just us. Uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, this is something, you know, you know, if you have a, a higher level role, that's an opportunity, you know, um, then, then why not define what's required in that role? And why not open that opportunity up to anybody internally that would be interested? And why not go through a screening process that um, um, vets that person's capacities and abilities and skills and actually what's required in the role that's open, 
right? You know, and so that's sort of on the selection side. And then, you know, the rest of it's like, well, how do we know, how do we enable as many people as possible within the organization to actually be prepared to do things other than just the doing? You know, yeah. what, how are we investing in people uh, so that they're building these skills before they absolutely need them? So good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so many times we look at hiring somebody based on what they've done before rather than thinking about, hey, how could this person grow into the role and actually transform the role? You know, and, and looking at that, we want somebody that's more capable in the role to actually do that kind of transformation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Alicia, it sounds like part of the thing you do is help people create that clarity of what's required in those roles. Mm -hmm. The word I want to ask you about, and it's more than a word, it's one of the things that we believe is critical to leadership, and we're hearing it from all of our guests, is, is one of the items on there, empathy. Because I don't think people think that's a skill, but it's a way of being. And especially in the last year, if you were a leader that doesn't do well in empathy, it was a pretty epic failure with your people. Yeah. In my opinion. Empathy. Yeah, empathy is definitely a skill, right? And, and, um, and it's, uh and there and there are behaviors right you know so you know what do we mean by empathy um so let's be clear uh on that um and and very often and so i see it both ways you know i've seen leaders who suffer from an excess of empathy uh, and it creates hardship for them and i see people who you know struggle from for from an absence of it in, in certain you know um decisions you know and and both can be very destructive to you know the the trust and the connective tissue of the organization, uh, you know, and and empathy in terms of, you know, understanding that the people that you work with are whole people. Yes, I, I think is really the point. Yes, right. Absolutely. You know, um, it doesn't mean that you sacrifice, you know, performance in a role because you can imagine how difficult it is for an individual. Because then you end up over empathizing with one individual and you fail to empathize with all the other individuals in different roles that are suffering as a result of low performance over here. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap, I want to ask about that because I think that that topic right there is a big one because I think some leaders hold back their empathy for fear of being too empathetic. And I think a lot of it is understanding what it means. So I'd like you to talk more about what is it, what do you mean when you say someone can be over empathetic? Because when I hear that, I think personally, I don't know how that's possible, but maybe there's some other behaviors that are the problem. Like mm -hmm. if someone says, I'm so empathetic, I don't hold boundaries. Well, that's not over empathetic. That's a problem with boundaries to me. Mm -hmm. And I think in 2020, one thing we've seen in going forward is I, and I'm going to speak for myself here because I, I don't know where Craig is on this. I think going forward, it's going to be critical to be willing to start treating people differently because their situation is different. Yeah, absolutely. And that has not always been the case. We typically treat everybody the same. So can you talk more about what does being overly empathetic mean and, and the role of treating people differently going forward in this, the age we're in today? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, an excess, when I say an excess of, of empathy, you know, what that means is an excess of empathy applied. to. So imagine you've got somebody 
and you like them very much. Maybe even they were your friend before you worked with them, um, you know, and uh, um, and they were really valuable, uh, you know, in, in the past. Um, and they are dropping the ball uh, in many big ways. And they're starting to have some really negative behaviors that are off core values. Right. You know, um, but you can see how important this this role is. You can feel how important this person uh, is to you. Um, you can see how important this person having income is for their family. Um, and you you heavily empathize uh, with um, how they feel. Um, and then very often you um, have from that degree of empathy, you find it difficult to confront or to talk about um, the, you know, where the shortcomings are. And what that means is this empathy applied in a particular way and resulting in non-action rather than action. Right. Would that, would that be um, and, more like over invested in that person? I mean, what, yeah, it, it, here, here, like we can, we can use whatever language works for whomever. Right. So, but here's, yeah. here's what I've, I've seen be meaningful for people who are high on the empathy um, characteristic, right. And are in leadership roles and they end up feeling like really torn. You know, when they see that somebody isn't measuring up uh, and um, and they empathize with them and, and, the, and, and, it's, and it's very, very hard uh, for them to, to hold them to account. Right. Because they can imagine that, well, they're trying hard um, or, um, oh, you know, maybe it's excused because this happened. Right. You know, and um, and then then they end up downstream and they end up empathizing with the plight of this individual. Uh, to the detriment of the whole system of yeah. people that they're obligated to support. Gotcha. And so sometimes they lose empathy for the whole, the people of the system um, because they're kind of caught up in their feelings, um, you know, about and, you know whether that's overinvested or not. But the reason why I use empathy is because with those individuals, I very often say, you know what? Um, it's really great that you have high empathy. That makes you a great leader. Um, however, when we make a decision about the right thing to do to move forward uh, for the organization, you need to set aside the empathy. We don't use empathy to decide what to do. We use empathy to communicate the decision effectively. Yeah. And people find that to be really, really helpful. Yeah. So it's a perspective shift. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because I think that one of the things that's getting in the way of some people's leadership I think there's some fear about it, but it it shows up as that, well, I'm, I can't be too empathetic because then I'll let people run all over me. Mm. And I think if they see those as the same thing, then they have a reason to not be empathetic. In other words, same with, thing with vulnerability. I think a lot of leaders don't understand what it is, and they're saying, well, vulnerability, so, so is my, but they literally say, should I come into work and cry tomorrow? Why would you think that's vulnerability? <laughs> because to me, it's an excuse to not be vulnerable because you're saying, surely that's ridiculous. And, and, I, and, and Walt Rakowicz, who was our guest a few months ago, we asked him the same question. Leaders seem to have access to this knowledge about how to treat their people as a whole person, et cetera. Why aren't they? Mm -hmm. He said, well, number one is they're just terrified. <laughs> the surveys say that leaders have all sorts of fears, but they don't acknowledge them generally. But they make decisions from a place of fear. Mm -hmm. And one of those fears is not having all the answers. Mm -hmm. 
which mm, means I can't acknowledge. Yeah, right. And that's <laughs> a vulnerability to say, I don't have all the answers here. Let's figure it out together. Mm. It's not about crying at work. It's about acknowledging your own humanness. Yeah. Just be human. How about that? Just be human. But it yeah. does come back to trust. I mean, yeah, it's it does. difficult to have that vulnerability there without the trust, trusted environment. Definitely. Now we create that. And, you know, we as leaders need to be the ones that go first, expose our underbelly, you know, and do whatever we need to do, right? So uh, this has been great, Alicia. I always like to uh, wrap up with this question. Craig and I have asked you a lot of questions today. You've shared a lot. But I'm sure there's probably a question we didn't ask. That there, maybe there's this piece saying, this is the thing people need to hear that we haven't talked about. What is that? You know, humans are different from each other. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> at the risk of sounding like Mrs. Obvious, <laughs> uh, you know, that, and there's opportunities and barriers that come from that. You know, the fact that we are each different from each other and individually, you know, um, because we're different and because we each have kind of constraints, natural abilities and natural um, lack of abilities, uh, share mine for quite a while. Uh, individually, when we can't be anything in the world, but we can be more than we imagine. Absolutely. You know? and, and so um, because each one of us doesn't have, can never have an unimpeded you know, access to reality and the full picture and all the things um we really have to rely on each other and we really gain a lot from listening to each other internalizing other perspectives and any work that we can do for that in our personal lives and our professional lives is time well spent well said i love that so so alicia um want to give you a chance to share uh is there and, and i want to say this before we get to the end I hope people are really listening to this because one of the big messages in this, especially if you have a small business is getting it right with your people is not just for Google. Uh, And I'm not saying Google does, by the way, I had a call last week and said (laughs) Google's not all it states to be. But the point is, I think a lot of small businesses think this is for big companies. Having advisors and HR people here to help us get our culture right is for big companies, maybe when I'm bigger. And I love that that's not how you look at it, Alicia. You're bringing this to the small business owner, that foundation of business in this country at least, and that they can, you can get it right everywhere, folks. That's one of the big takeaways for me. So thank you. Um, thank you. We always give our guests a chance to promote anything that's going on for you or your business. So what would that be? Gosh. Um, we. We don't have any, I don't have any other events coming up, but just in general, um, I, I look forward to, you know, finding other opportunities to speak to people about people and organizations and, and why people in business aren't different things, but, um, but an interaction <laughs> uh, and, 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 and how we can think differently uh, about, um, about our businesses and their organizations. Um, and, and then it can be affordable. Wonderful. So how do people get in touch with you, Alicia? Our website is performantor.biz.biz. And I can be reached at alicia at performantor.com. All of my contact information is on the website. 
And um, again, Performentor, P-E-R-F-O-R-M-E-N-T-O-R dot biz. Awesome. We always wrap up with a couple signature questions. And my first one for you, Alicia, is what is the book? That's capital T-H-E that people need to read. Mm. I had a hard time narrowing it down to just one book, and I apologize for that. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's why we say the book. I know, I know, uh, and uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick. Um, so, Jonathan Haidt's "The Righteous Mind: Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion" was one of the most enlightening books that opened my mind um, in a way. And it's not a business book necessarily. Yet in our current milieu, um, our ability, like I talked about, our ability to really open up and the uh, understanding of other people's perspectives and the, um, I would say, increased politicization of discourse, that understanding how different people think about, um, you know, what, what informs people's political orientations, you know, and the, and the values and the morals beneath them was, I thought, just um, really mind-changing and mind-opening. Um, so one of the things that he, he demonstrates, and, and sometimes in discourse, we think that because maybe if I'm you know, very high on empathy, right, and then somebody else demonstrates maybe a little bit lower levels of it, it doesn't mean the person with lower levels has no empathy. It just means that, relatively speaking, um, you know, we're all just a little different. And that it is not helpful to point at uh, somebody else and say, you, you are bad and evil and you have an absence of this good thing. And while me and my side have, 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 uh, have all of the good things, um, you know, understanding how just people are, are looking at the world through different lenses. Um, I, I find that that book was just really, really helpful. Interesting. Okay. Oh, I'm going to check that list. out. I've not heard of that. And that's uh, in my wheelhouse these days. <clears throat> <laughs> the word righteous resonates because I was reading an email this morning. It's an exchange going on on a list about racism. Mm -hmm. and, and one person, not the only one, but one of the few is pushing really hard to say there's no such thing as racism. Mm. And, and he's getting a lot of pushback. And he, he said, hey, read this. You should all read this. Mm -hmm. This is about what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And then someone just wrote back this morning and said, this is quite interesting that what you chose as proof is an article from what's recognized as one of the most ultra conservative, as far right as you can go, think tanks. Mm. Sort of, and I'm like, is this person not even aware that that's what they did? And that's the truth. They're not. Because that's the truth. There's that rightness, righteousness. Say, you know, the something that's at the far extreme proves nothing to me. Even on mm -hmm. something I believe, you know, something I believe. So it's it's interesting, and I was think it's it's weird how world works because this morning I was thinking about discourse and this idea of what gets in the way of the discourse, and it struck me that the main thing that gets in the way is my need to be right, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and to have you That's agree right. with me on top of that, you yeah. have to agree I'm right, and then we're good. I, I don't I don't believe that, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the second question is, you've shared a lot of wisdom already today, Alicia, but what's that one piece of wisdom that people need to hear today? 
you can change, you can be, um, you know, more than you imagine. And it starts with a small step and then another small step. <laughs> so, wow, someone should write a book about small steps. <laughs> Jeff wrote a book called Just One Step. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, how did about, I pull that About his trek on the know. Camino Trail. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So when you say that, Alicia, I'm just wondering when you when you're saying, you know, take that next step, do you find that somebody just choosing to make those changes by themselves is usually sufficient or do they is it better if they enlist maybe a team of supporters, of coaches, of, you know, whatever, basically having a support team to to make those changes? Having a support team obviously makes it easier to begin and sustain and overcome barriers. Um, you know, um, however, if the the feeling of assembling a team feels like too big of a step to take in and of itself, then then let don't let that stop you. Yeah. But I love it. Well, thank you, Alicia. Thanks for being here, and thanks more yep. importantly for the work you do in the world. Good to see you. Likewise. Again. Thank you, guys. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.